0: we're joined by Cameron Leslie, three-time Paralympic champion, world record holder and he also happens to be the co-founder of the Wheel Blacks Tea Club. So more on that coming up. 2020 hasn't exactly been what you possibly expected after such a crazy 2019 and we'll get to that in a minute but first can you tell us what you've been doing during lockdown?
1: Yeah cheers thanks for having me. Um, Yeah it's been a a weird old year this year Um, but Hey, you just got to roll with the punches, eh? And uh, ultimately, yeah, you've got to be able to adapt to things, and it's just one of those challenges um, that that we've all had to adapt to. But yeah, during lockdown, it's just trying to work through, and yeah, just keep my keep realistic for what you can and can't. Like what you could do uh, in terms of training It was all thrown on its head. But in terms of like my home life, it was awesome. It was great for that. You spend a whole bunch of time at home. That is a, a rarity for a lot of uh, a lot of high performance athletes.
0: Yeah, I guess you've got a, a one-year-old, um, so you have had plenty of family time that you might not have had before, which would have been nice.
1: Yeah, it was cool. Eh? Lots of family time, lots of walking around the farm and um, just enjoying each other's company and not having uh, to, because I was meant to be in the US, you know, not far after lockdown finished for us. So it was quite nice to know that I was going to spend quite big chunks of time just at home with them and just be able to enjoy being dad.
0: Exactly. I mean, your life has always been swimming um, and recently wheel blacks as well. How did you how did you train during lockdown? Were you able to?
1: Um, we could do gym sessions. So we we're doing gym sessions um, via um, Microsoft Teams and Zoom and stuff like that um, as a as a squad, like as a training group. Um, just in the shed. Um, and then, yeah, i was just well, we've, we're on 30 acres, so just plenty of farm work was as much of a, of a cardio sort of workout as I could get. You know, living rurally, I can't exactly just take my, my wheelchair out for a push or anything like that locally. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was just a case of trying to stay as active as I could through dry land exercise.
0: Was it It was it a quite a challenging time for you? I guess, like, given the fact that you're, you're probably supposed to be at the Paralympics, um, well building up now um how did you sort of cope with finding out that it was postponed and you you know you're sort of 31 years old you're going to be 32 is that right by the time you end up at the games
1: um I'll be 31 next year um but yeah it doesn't Sorry. doesn't <laughs> in terms of like how like it, it being delayed it's a little bit like annoying but at the same time a big a big motivator for me is to be able to to compete at the Paralympic Games uh, for my son to be able to watch that as well and to, for us to him to have a, a totally different viewpoint on disability and being able to see uh, you know people with impairments competing being really competitive and seeing that side of things but also hopefully seeing his old man do do all right and stand on a podium so um, that's a big motivator for me so like the delay and the like the, the jumping around that we've had in the since it's been postponed and stuff like that and the uncertainty that goes with it it still doesn't change that, that motivating factor. So, I mean, Hey, if it doesn't go ahead next year, then, you yeah, know, roll on Paris. It's um, still a motivator for me. That um, I don't think my reasons will change all that much in, in 12 months. So um, yeah, challenging in terms of just trying to keep the mindset positive, knowing it's because you sort of build up to, like you say, we're, we're heading over there about now and competing, you know, not too far what would have been competing soon. Um, it's just dealing with the frustration of that. And um you know, being okay with knowing, okay, we've got to hit reset and, and let, manage the body through another 12 months of you know, that level of training. We, my coach and I, we've got a, a bit of a habit of, of ramping training up and building it up um, at the right times and when it really matters. So um, it's just a case of hitting reset on that and managing a, a I say old, but in, in reality, 31's not that old. <laughs> um, in swimming years, it's like 80. So <laughs> managing an 80-year-old swimmer's body through.
0: Yeah, you're saying that you are keen on Paris, so we're not, we haven't seen the last of you yet.
1: No, no, not yet. Well, I certainly haven't committed to wanting to step out, step away or anything like that. It's, um, it, it is really important to me for, for Beau to be able to see um, me compete at that level and um, yeah, I just, it'll be really cool for that to happen. So if, if that happens next year, then great, we might have to make a few decisions or at least look in the mirror, but otherwise, yeah, you know, if it's Paris, it's Paris and if it's if, I'm, if I can't make it through to Paris, then hopefully I get another opportunity at another event or something like that for, for him to have that same experience of what, what I'm really keen for him to have.
0: That's really awesome. I mean, you know, you must look at your son and think, you know, you can't wait for him to see you in action. And like you say, another year, he'll probably, he'll be two, is that right? So he's probably going to be able to maybe even understand what dad's doing a little bit better. So that's awesome. When you've had so much experience at so many games and you're constantly going, right, another four years, or another two years to the next world champs. Is that kind of what you need? You know, that kind of family, that mental drive to keep you going? Um, it's,
1: for yeah. me, it's changed. Like each Paralympics, it's been a very different motivator um, as to what's got me out of bed and into the pool and what's yeah, helped you push through those those tough trainings and things like that. So like I've gone from being like my first Paralympic Games, it wasn't even expected. I was just 18 years old, was loving the sport and was just sort of taking everything in stride. I was first year uni, just loving all these new experiences that you have at that age. Um, and then, yeah, accidentally qualified and went on to, to win a gold medal and, and have some awesome fun while doing it. Second time round was all about trying to repeat it. Uh, I, was, I was very strong-minded in that I didn't want to just do it once because I think that's you know, testament to, to, to great athletes as ones who can you know, repeat the same feat or close to more than once. Um, and then last Paralympic Games in Rio was all about performance. It was all about trying to get as fast as I could. And like that was the big motivator, was making sure it was um, a time that could hopefully be a world record for a number of years going ahead. And, and in all honesty, I don't know if I'll ever get back to that time in, in the medley, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I know I've, I've turned over every stone that I could in that race and that's probably pretty close to as fast as my body could ever get so yeah and now having now having a child and um yeah having a different motivating factor for this Paralympics um and if it blends into the next cycle it does but yeah it's uh, it's been quite nice to have different reasons but behind um you know getting stuck into training and going to those those dark places that you go to in some trainings.
0: I'm sure it probably helped on those cold mornings too on the farm when you when you were getting up, at least your, your boy was there to to help you during those times. Can we go to 2019, though, because you're going to the Par- Paralympics next year now um, in two events, uh, and that's a whole new feat altogether. How crazy was that week or two weeks in 2019 when you got your gold um, at the Swimming World Champs and also then helped qualify the wheelbacks for the first time since 2008?
1: Yeah, it was a it was a crazy um, a crazy year and a crazy few months from having what was Bobo I would have been like maybe six or eight weeks old um, when I left to go to Korea with the Wheel Blacks and try and qualify uh, be part of qualifying the team to the Paralympics. Um, and yeah, and then straight on the back of that went to um, swimming World Champs and and won two gold medals. It was a really crazy um time and I was nursing an injury all the way through that as well. And it was um not wasn't common knowledge because I know what sport can be like sometimes and uh, yeah, the last thing I wanted was to let people know that where 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 I had a weakness and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, it was um yeah, I, I don't really know how we managed it through We did a lot of forward planning uh, before Bo was born, knowing full well that after after baby was born we don't know what sort of baby we're gonna have and how I'm going to manage being a disabled dad and and things like that. So, it was it was always going to be a let's plan plan the plan the crap out of it beforehand so that when it comes time we can just roll with what we've got planned as good as we can. Um, yeah, so lots of uh, lots of planning in terms of recovery and nutritional pathways and making testing out and making sure I had um the right food on offer and knowing that I was going to be in a career as well that there might not be the the same levels of protein as to what I've wanted or needed to help prep for swimming world champs I mean there's yeah, there's in tournament in game sort of um nutrition you can do but then there's also trying to set your body up to perform in a different sport in a week's time after you've been in a rugby chair I mean the- wasn't even a week. I think I landed in 48 hours later or 72 hours later, I was racing in a final. So it was a crazy, crazy time.
0: That's pretty insane. And I mean, would you almost describe that as one of your biggest years? You know, given the fact that you had to emotionally deal with the fact that you'd welcomed your first child, then you like you say, the turnaround, being overseas, talking back to home. Was that probably your biggest year of growth for you personally?
1: Yeah, I think so. And like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a well-experienced athlete nowadays, but it's, nothing can prepare you for that um, that emotional um, moment of when you leave the country, having leaving your partner and son behind. It's, it's something I haven't experienced as a as an athlete before, so it was very new and very different. So it was, yeah, quite quite a massive year, really.
0: And to think that you'd done that, and then you achieved what you achieved in such a small short short, short short space of time. Sorry.
1: Yeah exactly I it was it, it it definitely went uh, like it went perfect really like uh, it's uh, probably the most success I've ever had and probably the most emotional bloody whirlwind I've had <laughs> in terms of yeah you know, leaving your family behind and and also then having multiple successes cuz like I've been playing for the World Blacks for what do we 20 10 years playing international um rugby with them and like it's probably the most uh, in that 10 years, I haven't really tasted a lot of success with the wheelchair rugby team. So it was, um, yeah, pretty cool to have that, have that experience and then go off to to swimming world champs and win medals and races that I've never actually um, previously done well. in. so it was pretty, it was crazy. eh?
0: So can you tell us a little bit about how, you know, you train for both events, especially because I know you spend half your time in Whangarei and, and Auckland as well.
1: Yeah, it's. Um, I think I'm lucky in some ways that um, swimming and rugby definitely don't uh, aren't detrimental to each other. Um, it'd be quite hard to do the two sports if one, uh, you know, one hurt the other sport. Uh, luckily, rugby being real upper body and pushing a wheelchair, um, real upper body orientated and lots of core as well. Um, so it complements swimming training because for myself, I don't have enough legs to actually do a kick set or to do much with my legs. Um, so it's, it's good in terms of muscle groups. It works really well together in that sense. Um, and especially with swimming being such a range of, range of movements sort of sport, you know, it's you're working through the, the full range, whereas rugby often a lot of it's just in, through the pushing motion. Um, yeah, we do a lot of uh, New Zealand training camps. So that's probably a, the bulk of my rugby training. The swim, swimming gym, like whatever you do in the gym for swimming, you're going to do something similar for rugby. So, you know, they're interchangeable really. Um, it's just more time and cheer for me so we do lots of, when we do our our, our New Zealand camps, lots of stuff um, there, but also for me at home I'm doing uh, lots of cheer skills, stop starts, agility sort of stuff in my um, in, in my own time up here and we, and we build that into gym sessions as well, so yeah, the, the, luckily the trainings work quite nicely together um, it's certainly not ideal bouncing between Whangarei and Auckland in terms of getting lots of weekly team trainings in place with other people, but um, But again, it's making the most of those opportunities and turning up with a good frame of mind to actually maximise that time together and making sure you take care of the little things rather than being happy dropping a ball or anything like that. You know, if you drop a ball, you, you bust your gut to pick it back up or get turnover back or whatever it might be.
0: What did you do when you got home? Did you have to kind of have a moment where you had to go like, right, I just need to chill out and kind of take process of everything that's happened right now?
1: Yeah, I pretty much had I think it was six weeks off of doing absolutely no training at all, and one of that was to recoup my shoulder because it was a AC joint problem, and the rehab the rehab recommendation was just to to let it rest, and because we'd nursed it through and done like watered down our training sessions to manage it through over that probably three months leading into the into those tournaments. So um, yeah, just when I got home, just literally time at home, no training. And it was exactly what the body and mind needed because, yeah, you'd sort of ticked all the boxes and achieved all the goals for the year. So it's, it's time to sit back and enjoy enjoy the, the fruits of that, um, that success, eh?
0: Absolutely. I mean, can we go back, 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 back? I want to talk about your 2006 World Championship experience because when you've just come off a 2019 like that that you call, you know, your biggest year um, and you really had to take note of just everything you'd achieved and with your family and stuff... Do you ever think back to 2006 when you almost packed it all in?
1: Uh, yeah, quite often. <laughs> it's quite funny because back in um, 2006, I was a cocky 16-year-old uh, who'd done well at like junior level and thought I was the bee's knees. Um, and I'd turn up and you, you, know, you go from competing at junior age group sort of stuff, you know, under 21 racing, you turn up and you race against the big boys and I turned up and saw some of my competitors and, and with Paralympic sport, you've got people who are all ages. I mean, people who have acquired a, an injury and become disabled um, or people who have been congenital like from birth, like myself. Um, and I turn up and I see this, the, one of them was a, a, an older man, um, Spanish bloke who was probably in his fifties at the time, maybe forties, fifties. And I was like, Oh, this old bastard, I'll get him. And um, he schooled me, absolutely schooled me. Um, and there's another bloke there who I still race today. Uh, he's about the same age as me, so it was both of our first international comps, and he beat me every single race. It was a pretty depressing competition for me, and I was just a sore loser who wanted to pack it in afterwards. Really, <laughs> um, so I do think back to that that competition quite a lot because I still race against the same Japanese bloke and the, the Spanish guy. I think he might have just retired in the last couple of years. He's he's certainly not as good as what he was, but he's still right up there top five and i go god it's a really rude awakening for a overconfident young man who um thought he was going to go there and 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 show these you know make a statement sort of thing and i turned up and just got just got beat
0: <laughs> i mean and now you probably look at that spanish guy and go well hey my parish dream and beyond is is certainly achievable right
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think in rio he was like 64 or something like that and i was giving him a hard time about how he'll be come to New Zealand, mate, you'll get a gold card and you'll be on the pension, you know, don't worry about racing anymore. <laughs> he was cracking up because he's, he's often given a, called the granddad of the of the classification.
0: Amazing, amazing. I mean, can you tell me about what your your mum and had to sort of say to you to keep, to keep you in the sport? Because you were really ready to, to give it up, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, just, it's, and this is just part of being young, right? Not having the the, the bigger picture thinking, Um Luckily, my parents are quite logical thinkers. So um, mum was saying to me, she's just breaking down timeframes, really. She's like, hey, look, it's the end of 2006. Yeah, have a few weeks off over Christmas. Get back in the pool in January, you know, qualifying for the Paralympics is in, I think it was April or something like that. So I was already moving to Auckland for university. So I was already having a coach change and a circumstance change. She's like, just see how it goes. I was like yeah makes sense I suppose she's like you've you've swum for however many years it was seven or eight years she's like you've swum for seven or eight years you may as well just six more months ain't gonna hurt you um just see how it goes and yeah luckily luckily I listen <laughs> probably not many 16 17 year old boys uh, will listen to their parents quite as quite as much as that but I it, it makes sense right like You've just made your international debut and you're considering chucking it in. And in reality, six months ain't going to break the bank. So just roll with it and, and see what happens in six months. And yeah, luckily in that time, um, I had a coach change and his mindset was very much about targeting the weak event. Um, you know, we sat down and we looked at where, where the opportunity was and we we took the weak event and made it my strong event. Um, and yeah, I guess the rest is a little bit of history, but it's it was certainly a... A turning point for me and one in my life because there's so much change going on, but also in terms of my career as
0: well. I mean, it's really a crossroad, isn't it? Because you're sixteen or seventeen, and you can go right. All my mates and they're doing, you know, casual, casual sport. First year
1: but, uni. What do you do? First year uni. You have fun, mate.
0: Exactly. I mean, you look at what you could basically give up, right? Because you can give up sort of the party lifestyle all of that instead go right now I'm going to get up every morning I'm going to train and I'm going to try and qualify so does that come down to your love of the the sport and why you got into it in the first place or was it because you didn't want to give up what you'd trained so much for for so many years?
1: I think it's the enjoyment like uh, and like 2006 whilst it's what 14 years ago it's still where para sport was globally and within New Zealand was totally different to where it is today like um, funding into the sport was just Bare minimum back then, yeah, people weren't doing sport for the money. It wasn't a paid profession, anything like that. So in some ways, you had to do it for the love. And I'm, I'm actually really appreciative that that's the time that I came along in because it's, it it makes sure your value set is, is doing it for the right reasons because you're not earning a wage. You're not getting much um, out of the sport in terms of financial gain. So you have to be doing it for the right reasons. And yeah, first year uni, um, and I hated it. 4 45 alarm every single morning and when you're you know what happens in your first like month at uni saint paddy's day and you're like yeah cool sweet i'm gonna go out until 10 o'clock <laughs> you're like, woo, Let's <laughs> <game it." laughs> um yeah so like i think i think it was just the enjoyment of the sport and it was something new because i was different training environment and i think i was lucky to have the coach that i have as well i'm still with him today um he was very much um a really driven coach at the time but he was also all about instilling the um the ownership on me as an athlete and if I wanted to achieve something it had to be me who did it he could give me the best trainings in the world but unless I did it properly um it, it was all for nothing so he was all about I'm the one who swims the race so I'm the one who has to want to be there and has to want to put in the effort so yeah, I think like you combine that with the stuff the previous year, and you've got a, a pretty cool cocktail of like life change and life learning, and um, yeah, it was yeah like so many crossroads all at once. And I think swimming, when you've got all this change going on, swimming was the familiar factor for me. Yeah, it's it's a known factor. You turn up to training, you know what you're going to do in the pool, you know how you're going to swim up and down. Whereas so many kids leave school, go to uni, and everything's changed and they sometimes don't keep something that's regular or known to them. And um, yeah, well, it was like, it was bloody hard. Like 4.45, wake up for 5.15 at the pool for stretches and then 5.30 in the water. was tough, like on the sleep side of things. Um, It wasn't uncommon for me to nod off during a lecture and things like that in that first year, but um, yeah, other people nod off for different reasons. I was just lucky that I had very genuine reasons for falling asleep in class. (laughs)
0: Exactly, maybe because they've been out way later at St Paddy's Day and be training that morning. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously it pays off, and we'll get to that in a second. But you talk about the change, and that's because you come from quite a humble upbringing, don't you? The farm and, and Whangarei. So can you tell us a little bit about your childhood and why you got into swimming and sport in the first place?
1: Yeah. So, like, I'm youngest of four. I've got two older brothers and an older sister, um, all of them really sporty. So growing up, me being the youngest, um, I was dragged along to all of their sporting events, uh, as the youngest always is, <laughs> or as younger siblings always are. Um, it was, yeah, I think it was just being involved with a sporty family, and you're lucky to say humble beginnings. We never had lots of money or anything like that. We always had enough to get by, and and mum and dad made decisions that were in the best interest of of the, of the kids, really. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure they'd have a whole different story to tell in terms of the sacrifices that they made and the, that were well, not sacrifices. I, I hate putting the negative spin on it. The choices they made um, for the family um, and for yeah you know, what what needed to be done and especially considering there is no book on how to raise a how to raise a disabled child or how to raise a kid with missing arms and arms and legs um, so it was so much just trial and error for them and I think some of that's probably what has set me up for having the mindset I've got is that you do just have to try things you have to give it a crack um, and yeah I guess getting into sport. You know, like you say, coming from Whangarei and um, small town um, surrounded by water, You know, New Zealand as a whole is surrounded by water. So water safety was something that I was really keen on as well as like dad loved fishing, um, loved getting out in the boat and things like that. So um, any, I guess if that was what I enjoyed doing as a hobby and as an interest, being safe and doing that was something was that was really important to my parents and for myself. So that's pretty much how I got into swimming was, there was a, a learn to swim lesson that was happening through, uh, it was CCS back then. Um, and the the modern day matcher to it would be through the parafeds um, who are getting, who had like a learn to swim program and they were bridging you from like basic entry-level stuff into like swimming with a swim teacher and, and hopefully hooking into a club, um, which is the model that, that tries to happen these days as well. And um, it's, yeah, it's, that was pretty much how I got into sport and just, did a competition or two and, and really enjoyed it and I think it helped being a younger athlete and having someone um, from Paralympics New Zealand um, back in that time was came up and said hey you, we quite like what we see from you would you be interested in, in doing it more competitively and come into some junior competitions and I guess stumbled into it in some ways um, there wasn't as clear of a pathway in sport as what there is now for people with impairments um which, yeah, I, I guess I'm fortunate and I say stumbled into it because there was a lot of luck involved, you know, 20 years ago in terms of finding your way in competitive para-sport, um, whereas these days there's a much more targeted push and more integrated and model that, that allows for people to, to be seen as, as athletes but also to um, progress through a, a pathway into competitive sport and, yeah.
0: Do you think in a lot of ways, um, success like like yours and Bob or every year, should I say, and especially Rio with 31 medals, which was incredible. Um, do you think that that's definitely helped with that, with that push?
1: Yeah, big time. It's just, it's crazy how much it's changed in the time. Like the way that public perceive um, Paralympians' performance is um, so much better than what it was. And I mean, in all reality, the training load and the way that people push themselves in training is exactly the same. And I mean, I can't control how many people have lost their limbs worldwide or how many people might have a spinal cord injury to put them in the same classification as me. But that doesn't stop what it takes to get to the top because generally that top echelon uh, is really competitive and it's not like you just turn up and and get handed the gold medal or anything like that. You've you've got to go and take the gold medal and win it. Um, And there's no one lies, no one rolls over and gives it to you. Um, But yeah, the, the... the way that it's perceived, like publicly within New Zealand, is, is so cool, and it's awesome to see, you know, people like Sophie Pascoe and Mary Fisher having like becoming household names for that for their purely for their efforts in the sport, which is awesome to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, when you the team went to Rio, um, did you expect to sort of do as well as you did? And I mean, I think you backed it up from London in terms of being uh, the highest per capita, so you know, out of the games in terms of the medals you brought back, did you expect that?
1: um oh it probably sounds really like arrogant or big-headed but yeah sort of because i think that's the our paralympic teams generally have such a high standard and a high caliber of athlete coming through in at that space that um generally you, you expect everyone to be doing really well and if they're not winning medals you'd expect them to be pushing really hard for them um no one makes a paralympic team to make up numbers that's for sure um so, it, 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 in some ways, I uh, it's it's awesome. Like, it's really cool. And it, it just shows that we punch well above our weight as a nation. But even, like, if you look within it, like, the swim team, I don't know how many medals off the top of my head, but lots. We brought home plenty of medals, and we've done that for the last two Paralympic Games, having bigger um, a bigger team number. But I think while whilst it's awesome to win the most medals per capita, and I think it, it speaks to a, a certain story on that front, but also, like... Um, when you look at how much money per medal goes into the sport, uh, I think someone did a comparison between us and GB, and it's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars per medal for the sports that GB, like medals that GB brought back versus us in New Zealand. You know, we, are, we run a pretty lean, mean machine here, um, and it's pretty cool that we can go and have that success even without, like, Bucket load of bucket loads of money coming into the sport and and some of it might be needless spending in GB and it might be feeding bigger programs that actually make them more sustainable um, hard to say you know I'm not in their system or anything like that so it's pretty cool that we can go over to a Paralympic games and and foot it with the the big nations um, on our <laughs> on what we can foot it with them against our measure that we can compare ourselves against them
0: why do you think that that comes down to, um, you know, if you've got less money to work with? Is it more passion from, from New Zealand athletes? Is it the work they're putting into it? You know, what does that come down to?
1: Well, hard to say. I think it would vary from sport to sport and and athlete to athlete because most most athletes on that Paralympic team, their, their reasons are so different from each other. Right? There's, within the team, you've got quite a spectrum of age and reasons why they enjoy their sport or they enjoy you know pushing themselves in that competitive environment so yeah I don't know hard to say yeah I, I don't know I'd be completely crystal balling if I did come up with something on it
0: and I guess like a lot of your success obviously started at 2008 at Beijing so can you tell us about that experience you know when you turned up to your first Paralympics and then you know what you achieved um
1: yeah, it was it was quite a and like we've already like touched on it was such a massive year for me as an individual and just outside of the pool as well. Um, but that year was so like I wasn't I wasn't expected to qualify at all. Um I hadn't made the qualifying time right up until the last attempt and I had to do like a six second personal best to meet the qualifying time. Um had, like we we knew that we were on target or would go close to it from our times and training. So to qualify was um, like a, yeah, I guess it was a feat in itself. And then roll on four months later into the Paralympic Games. All all we wanted was to finish top six. Uh, We wanted to improve on what we'd done at World Champs. um, And I guess make a bit of a splash that I'd be one to watch for years to come. But yeah, lo and behold, we... uh, My coach and I—we ended up walking away with the gold medal and the world record. And and in all honesty, I had no idea what the world record was until I beat it. Like my coach, he was more coy to like how close I was going to go to things. And all I was thinking was, "Oh, cool, sweet. I'm going to be. I should be pretty close to actually hitting the goal." But um, yeah, he—he knew that I was tracking towards gold medal time um, in the lead up to the event. Um, He didn't let that on to me, but he. yeah, it was it was just pure surprise eh? I remember so I touched the wall in that Beijing games and I look I remember looking both ways because I'd um I swear I saw someone overtake me on the last length and I was like oh god and I remember looking both ways and it was just shock horror that I was the I touched the wall first and by a, a pretty comfortable distance really
0: a massive um, distance <laughs> yeah
1: Luckily it was in, um, it was in Beijing because when I touched the wall and looked at the scoreboard and stuff and saw world record it was, I, I let out a, a big old swear word of uh, um, in relation to hell yeah um, but as I did that my screen filled the whole scoreboard and it was just me just big old curse word and yeah <laughs> so, uh, Luckily probably not too many people in the crowd could translate that one <laughs>
0: Amazing amazing! Can you tell us about the aftermath of that, and with your coach, did you go celebrate? What did you do after that?
1: um We still had more races eh? and that's the real like crappy thing I think of, of a sport like swimming is that you do so many different races that you often and it's something that I've tried to work on a lot being an older athlete is stopping and smelling the roses during during competition because it's all too easy just to go back to the village, have your food, go to sleep and get ready to repeat the next day or at least get performed the next day. Um and yeah, we I remember we enjoyed that moment and we enjoyed the like seeing family and stuff like that afterwards, but there certainly was no going out or anything like that. It was pretty, pretty like boring in terms of the celebration story goes. But I I'm pretty sure I just went back to the village because I still had, I think it was a 53 and I didn't even make the final for it. So I was like, damn it. I could have actually had some, like gone and actually gone out for dinner with your family or had some sort of celebration afterwards. Um, but yeah, years, years in other Paralympic games, I, I've actually taken a moment to actually enjoy that a bit more, um, which is challenging because I like you still have races after it, right? But it's, it's, it's become more and more important to me to make sure you appreciate those moments and, actually realize what you've done because it is it's pretty cool but yeah 18 years old first gold medal first world record you go yeah man let's do that again
0: awesome what about the podium moment what was that like
1: um really emotional actually um all of my times on the podium have been really emotional um just and it sounds real cliche but it is that whole like moment of reflection where you go Far out. This is the this is the outcome of all of these of, of the process, and this is the outcome of all of those decisions that are made of like not staying out late for St. Patty's Day and things like that. Making those, getting up at four forty-five, and actually um, being dedicated to a sport and to to following through on on actions. Um, yeah, it was one of those big times where you sit there and reflect on like the the journey because how many like especially. Yeah, rewinding 20 years, it's, it was a time where people with disabilities weren't openly encouraged into sport. Um, and to the amount of times I got told, oh, you should, shouldn't bother doing that or what are you doing out in public and stuff like that, it was like some like, hurtful comments as you grow up and things like that. So it was really um, a reflection moment to go, you know what, screw those people who had that mindset.
0: How do you shape those comments growing up? You know, when you're surrounded by your mates and you just you're living life, you're doing your thing. Is it a thing of family? Is it maybe who you are as a person?
1: Um, it, like it's definitely hard, uh, and especially you know, when you're a teenager. Like all teenagers have, there's always that tough time. Like teenage girls have it, teenage boys have it. It's it's just something about those teenage years that it, life can be really hard, and like your social perception and the way that you view yourself is can be really challenging and it's it's probably made harder with my well with with a disability but also doing a sport like swimming right you're you're, you're wearing a pair of speeders so you're all out on display you're not really got much to hide you <laughs> um so it was yeah I think I think I was really lucky to have the family that I have but also um the choices that my parents made in terms of schooling um they were very conscious effort to to keep me at a school that progressed from a primary into an intermediate into a high school um, so that there was a, a pretty steady friend group around me so that if I was having um, tough times or if people were bullying me, because like people did bully me at school, it was, yeah, it's name calling and whatnot. And I think I'm just lucky that I had a, a good friend group who saw me for me rather than seeing my disability. And I think that stemmed from having been at primary school with a lot of them and, and um, getting an opportunity in and probably at a time before you become so socially aware of yourself and what you look like and what you're doing, um, that, you, that I had a chance to make friends with them and they might have seen what I could do rather than what I couldn't do earlier.
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess now that you've got, you've got your son too and he's got all of that to go through, um, does it kind of put life into perspective a little bit for you now when you sit back with your son and you look at your achievements and everything you've achieved and, and you know, the big up yours, I guess, that <laughs> you say to all those people back in the day?
1: Um, yeah, definitely, eh? And I think that I get that satisfaction through my work as well. So, like, I, I work with Swimming New Zealand and my role is always all around trying to grow para-swimming, find more para-swimmers whatever age they might be and get them into the sport. And uh, it's not all about getting them into competitive Um, And so I think a lot of what I've gone through as an athlete is I'm able to repay that favor because I'm working with a lot of teenage swimmers and a lot who are 12, 13, 14, moving into those really challenging years. And it's something that I'm really aware of is knowing that, you know, one day they will put on their togs and maybe look in the mirror and go, I don't like myself. And how can I help preempt that that's going to happen and how can we, use sport as a vehicle to hopefully change that mindset or to not see a disability. Um, and even for like, uh, like there's a, a club on the North shore um, on, in Silverdale um, called coast, and they've got a couple of swimmers with disability there. Right. And the coaches openly say how they actually really like having swimmers with an impairment there because it, the, the social maturity and the emotional intelligence of the able-bodied swimmers in the club is so much higher because of their experience with disability, and I go, how cool is that? That yeah, you, know, you can encourage a kid with a disability to swim, and to to not look at themselves in a negative way, and their peers don't look at them in a negative way either. And it's yeah, it's. But yeah, I, get, I guess getting back to to me as a dad as well, like I think that'll that'll stem into when Bo gets older and things like that, and he's going to have such a different mindset when it comes to disability, right? Like he's got with a disability, he's got plenty of, he's gonna be surrounded by disability his whole life. So he's gonna have a, a total different take on it to to what he would have had if I had been an able-bodied dad and not had friends with disability and things like that.
0: And I mean, a lot of what you were saying with the public perception thing is, is quite interesting. I mean, if you go back to your gold medal in 2008 compared to potentially the ones in 2016, what are the key things you've noticed that have changed from maybe when you come home with a gold medal or things like that?
1: I think, I think the, the coverage, um, the media coverage, whether it be through um, like Attitude, Attitude Pictures has done so many stories with me over the years and so many stories with a lot of the Paralympians. But I think it's actually been a really good way and, and now that they do like that documentary style to, to get inside the life of an of a international para Um, whether it be myself or Sophie or Mary or whoever it is, um, the public have been able to see that the, the, I guess the effort and the choices that are being made by those swimmers is still the same as what an able-bodied swimmer or athlete might be, um, might be making anyway to achieve their goals. So I think that sustained period of coverage to see um, how people develop and and what actually happens in their real life. um, I think that's, helps change the, the perception and the yeah it's just the viewpoint as to what is what is how it how impressive it actually is
0: yeah absolutely and I guess you know 2019 was probably a big one for that too was it in terms of the fact of probably what you noticed in the attention around you in the in the couple of weeks of what you achieved with the wheel blacks and swimming
1: yeah and I think people like thinking around the wheel blacks too like Whilst, you know, we're not gold medalist or anywhere near winning a gold medal as a World Blacks team, it's still qualifying is actually massive for them. We haven't been at a Paralympic Games since 2008. And when you look at the disabilities that are in there, uh, they're all people who have gone from being able-bodied one day, had an accident or had something happened where they've, um, you know, broken their necks, had some sort of spinal cord injury, which has left them quadriplegic you know, they've got three or four limbs affected by some sort of disability, like that's pretty major impairment type. And to have a group of people whose background is, oh, I was able-bodied and then I had it all taken away in an instant because of, you know, a bad choice or a, um, some, someone else's bad choice or whatever it might be. Um, I think the more people understand how, um, how close we all are to having some sort of disability or impairment, um, I don't think we quite realise that the wheelchair rugby team, most of them, in an instant, their life changed and they became a para-athlete. And they had so much more to go through than what your standard able-bodied athlete probably has to deal with. They don't have to deal with rehab. You you don't have to go from being mid-20s and learning how to move your body again. It's something totally different that's really hard to to wrap your head around, really, I think.
0: You're essentially brothers in a way like in the sense that you all can you know relate and understand each other when you all come together for training and when you go through things like major highs like qualifying
1: yeah big time eh? Uh, and some of us who have been around a bit longer as as players and um have probably done a, a bit of extra travel like stayed on after trips and done some travel together and stuff like that you've got a few closer bonds there uh, and especially for us who have been around a while and not had a lot of success there's certainly a moment after the game where we we're like fire out that's cool that we've finally achieved a goal um and none of our goals have been that lofty or anything like that so um yeah really cool to be able to share that and yeah like it is like a like a, a massive friend group and brothers and things like that because there's such a shared experience there amongst all of us in terms of I guess disability type but also challenges that they've all gone through and there is a lot of um shared rehab that happens a lot of sort of um, some of the newer guys learn so much from the older guys who are much more independent than, than them, but they might have a more, more impairment than them. So there's, there's, it's, it's actually a really cool just group in terms of learning from each other and, and using it one of those, it's sort of like the captain planet, right? We all combine our powers and all together we're pretty independent, but in isolation there's so many things that a lot of us can't actually do. Like whilst well, so I've got a lot of function in the rugby team, Picking stuff off off the ground is a challenge for me. Yet the lowest functioning quadriplegic in our team picks stuff up off the ground for me, and like it's it's quite crazy how like the you all work together to actually to get stuff done.
0: I guess. Um, tell me about your tea club. I'm quite interested in that. <laughs> Why did that come about? Why do you all gather around for tea? <laughs>
1: well, let's just say there's a there's a shared appreciation for uh, for for tea um amongst the, to start off with there was a, it was only a small group of us and, and now it's actually pretty much the whole team is likes to indulge in a good old cup of tea um and yeah it just started off as the like a the three of us would go and just we'd always go for a cup of tea and others would be like no no I'm good I'm good and we're like oh we're well, we going to go for a cup of tea um, and we'd just go and hang out and go go for a wander or go and chill out in someone's room and, and have a cup of tea um and we would all take turns at who would be brewing it and you just Yes, you do. You just talk a bit of smack with it, and you're, yeah, you, you just, I don't know. It was just a, a group of people who like to have a cup of tea, and it turned into this tea club thing. And and people were like, well, how do I get to become part of the tea club? I like tea as well. There's just a bit, bit of shits and gigs, eh? It was it's it's quite funny.
0: Um, let's look at uh, Tokyo, obviously, and and potentially Paris. Hopefully, Paris. Um, past comp- competing, what what do you see yourself doing?
1: Um, oh, hard to say as well, eh? Like I, I mean, I, I've been very lucky that not, not maybe lucky, but I've been very conscious of planning a career outside of sport. Um, something that has always been really important to me as a as a young athlete, even even today, having something outside of sport and getting that that balance right between sport and life. Um, so I, I don't know. I think when I stop competing, I'll probably still do sport for fun, some level of sport for fun. And, and it might be weo chi just because, yeah, that sport is quite aligned with having social players. Um, and that's it's a sport that you probably don't have to train much for to still have fun. <laughs> um, but at, at a club level, at least. Um, yeah, I think just having a career outside of sport. So I, I started as a journalist um, and was a sports editor at a daily newspaper in, in Northern, Northern Advocate for a couple of years. I loved it um really enjoyed that daily deadline um getting things done and, and writing stories that like my job was literally going and talking with sporting people sporting groups and talk and writing a story about it and that's it's really well with me because I'm really interested in sport um so yeah I could go back down the journalism path or could get stuck into more sports administrative type roles like what I'm doing at the moment um yeah it's hard to really say it's hey if it happens next year then I'd definitely be a sports administrator um but if it if I was to retire in you know four or five years time then it might be something different again um sort of depends on what what opportunities opportunities are around at, at what times and things like that
0: come join us on the pod <laughs> you
1: too
0: yeah exactly so <laughs> yeah um before we go can I talk about potentially what how you see you know the development of, um, of para sports, especially because you've got such a massive involvement in it and leadership levels um, on things like boards and also, you know, development coordinating and stuff like that, even though you are continuing to plan to compete for quite a few more years.
1: Um, yeah, so it's, I guess, it is really cool to see the direction of where we're going as a country, I think. Um, I really like the... Like the government directive through Sport New Zealand to push towards getting more more people with impairments and women and girls and I, that sort of stuff really speaks speaks to me um, and I think it's it's really cool that that direction can come from from central government um, and I think it's definitely in the right it's definitely the right thing to do because so many other countries have such a active group you know and people with impairments in other countries are so active yet in New Zealand we seem to know, uh, yeah, just be okay with not being active, or we just don't see that because you acquire an impairment, it means you can't compete or can't be active. And in reality, you know, you can be active as a, you know, just go and shoot hoops with your family if you've had a spinal cord injury or an amputee or different length leg or whatever it might be. I think, um, especially in my role, it's something that we we see a lot of and probably hasn't been turned over much as intellectual impairments, right? Like it's the impairment that can't be seen. Um, and the public perception of it probably isn't a, a hugely positive one, and, and it's something that needs to change, because um, just because you can't see someone's impairment doesn't mean that they don't have challenges with it. Um, and it's something that I'm consciously trying to work on with, with my role at swimmer New Zealand is trying to grow that intellectual impairment group, um, and especially even swimmers, it's, it's, it's just... I, I really feel for them because... They, they may not necessarily be able to explain what their disability is and they know their reality and not everyone gets sight or has the, the mindset to, to empathize with them to figure out how can we better communicate with someone with an intellectual impairment. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a time for massive growth, that's for sure. And through the work that Parallelix New Zealand has done, over the last year, 20 was, since I've been involved a very long time. Um, it's come such a long way. And in terms of what they promote and push is really awesome. But then to see where it's progressing into today's world with more integration within the likes of Athletics New Zealand, Swimming New Zealand, Cycling New Zealand, the NSO is taking a, an active interest in that space. And I know within our office at Swimming New Zealand, we've actually done a massively positive job in the last couple of years of growing the number of people with impairments who are swimming regularly at club level, but also growing what we can cater to them. So I think it's awesome to see um, that that's where we've come from in my time and where we're heading to, thanks to the direction of Sport New Zealand, as well as the NSOs buying into it and Paralympics New Zealand and pushing from their side as well. I think it's we're heading in a really positive direction and I think the social um, perception of impairment and performance with impairment uh, can only grow from here.
0: What would you like to see come uh, Tokyo 2020, now uh, 2021 and Paris?
1: Um, I'd like to see some young buck kicking me off the swim team on a personal <laughs> note. <laughs> um, but oh, I think just more people pushing that upper level, but also, you know, that all stems from more people at the base, right? So, like, I'm really passionate about making sure that people... Do sport for the reasons that whatever drives them, that's their reason to do it. it. Doesn't have to be competitive at all, but so long as there's a space for more people to be at that community and club level being active, and whether they want to go to a competition just to be able to measure how far they throw or how fast they swim or cycle or whatever, um, yeah, it's for me, it's just make uh, that's what I'd love to see in four years' time in particular, is knowing that in most. It takes time to grow all the sports. Like the sport capability isn't going to be there ready tomorrow for everyone. Um, so it's about making like wanting to see that um, sports are ready and are integrated and are thinking about disability while they're forward planning and things like that. It's not a it's not a tag on anymore. It is part of the thinking.
0: Is that kind of what you'd like in terms of when you when you retire from maybe competitive swimming? Is that kind of what you'd like to see? Is that there's some other guy there ready to? To take over and to and to keep driving that that face in the media, I guess, or in success and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, big time. eh? Um, it's I've always wanted that to be the case. I've always wanted to someone to kick me off the team, like a teammate, kick me off, not administration, but <laughs> <laughs> someone, could someone come through and be pushing me for my spot and um, essentially take it from me, because I think that's yeah, that's going to create good, healthy competition. Um, and I think it's just it'll show the sport's really growing in that space. Um, we're probably a little way off there in the sport of swimming, um, but yeah, it's a hard one. Eh? Swimming's there's I guess it's those crossroads that I went through, and I made different choices to what the what younger athletes are making today. And that's not to say they're making bad decisions; it's just they're making different decisions based on their life. So yeah, I'm really keen for um. To, for that to grow and to be a, one a bigger team because it's something that I never had as a young swimmer we had a very small swim team and we've grown and got bigger and got smaller as the years have gone by but ultimately I'd love to see us with a bigger swim team and more people pushing pushing for spots it'd be a great place for selectors to have a headache when picking a team that's for sure
0: I know rugby's a, a massive thing in this country what do you think it's going to take for the World Blacks to, to get gold one year hopefully next year
1: um. Oh, hopefully next year, jeez, we're doing something right if we get a gold medal next year. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, it's a, a rugby is a fascinating sport because of the level of impairment that you need. So you're gonna have three or four limbs affected by some sort of disability or weakness. And what what we don't know a lot of in New Zealand, because we've traditionally gone for people with spinal cord injury, um, people with cerebral palsy, people with shut tooth Marie, people with some sort of weakness or amputation to three or four limbs like people just don't know that that's what can qualify you to play. Um, so I think what it will take for us to win a gold medal one day in the future is to, to be having more diverse impairments playing the support, playing the sport, um, but also extra support to go with it as well. Um, yeah. Like strength and conditioning trainers who are just keen being to, to learn and to, to try training different people with different abilities and things like that because it's, um, it's such a cool sport, uh, and us being a rugby-mad country, it just makes sense, right? Like, why why wouldn't we get behind a wheelchair rugby team when we get behind a rugby team? Um, so, yeah, I think those are probably two two big game changers in years to, in years to come for rugby is, yeah, growing our diversity and, and impairment type, but also uh, some extra support around it to make sure that people are um, having the most of their abilities dragged out of them.
0: Awesome and I guess, I guess it all starts because they're on, they're on a big stage hopefully next year provided the all goes ahead but I mean that publicity and that will hopefully do that and um, anyway I really appreciate you joining us today Cameron that's been awesome um, and all the best for your preparation uh, we look forward to seeing you at two events next year.
1: Yeah Thanks. awesome thank you very much.